Welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast, where we learn all about building resilience in ourselves and helping others build it too. We draw from the principles of positive psychology and coaching to help you face adversity and do more than just survive. We want you to thrive. We are certified life coaches and speech language pathologists, and we will help you manage your mind, your emotions, and become the very best version of yourself, version 2.0. Let's get started. This is Heather Stables and Leah Davidson, and this is the Building Resilience Podcast, episode 13, Language Hacks. Episode 13. I actually love the number 13. I know. You were just telling me that. It surprised me. Well, it all started because my first son was born on Friday the 13th. So I remember it was very close to midnight on the 12th. And I remember saying to his doctor, any chance this baby's going to come before the 13th? And he said, no chance whatsoever. And then my first son, Zach, was born on Friday the 13th at 9.15 in the morning. But after that point, so then it became like a lucky day for me. But after that point, there's some significant things that have happened to me on the 13th. I love that. Just little, yeah, little things, little reminders. And actually my dad passed away on the 13th too. And so you would think Mm -hmm. that that would be bad luck, but he passed away on Friday the 13th as well, just two years after Zach was born. Hmm. And, but there has been other things that have happened for Rob and I, purchasing our house in the middle of a snowstorm on a Friday the 13th in February. There was some significance for our marriage. This anyhow was a long story, but 13 was involved in that. So 13 has actually become a pretty lucky number for me. Oh, I love that. Or a significant number. Well, I mean, I'm from Brantford, if anybody knows where Brantford, Ontario is. And the street that I grew up on, there's a lot of motorcyclists Uh who travel out to Port Dover, which is on Lake Erie for Friday the 13th. Mm -hmm. And so it's always been a celebration for me more than anything else. So both of my parents ride. So, Oh, I didn't realize both your parents ride. They do. How cool. And I've always wanted to get my license. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. I didn't know that about you, Heather. I'm not good Considering with motorbikes. What we do. I, I know. know. I was like, I'm not good. If my kids are listening to this, they'll be like, no, she's not supportive of motorbikes at all. And only because I do recognize that it's not the bikers, it's the cars that aren't used to. And that actually is so interesting because when we talk about what our brain looks for, our brain sees. Yes. And as cars, we're looking for other cars. We're not mm-hmm. looking for motorbikes. So most accidents that occur are actually accidents between bikes and cars, Mm -hmm. not bikes and bikes, because other bikers are looking out for other bikers because it's on their mind. Yes, exactly. That's fascinating. So anyhow, all sorts of interesting things. So episode 13 is going to be a good one. We are talking all about the language that we use. So we've been talking about our thoughts and talking about the importance of being aware of our thoughts and how our thoughts are optional and how our thoughts create feelings. But now we wanna talk a little bit about the language. And we've said this before, I will say it again, what we write is the words that we choose. And we all know that we can word things differently. There are formal ways we can write things. There are casual ways. There's like slang. How we text is different than how we write a research paper. And we get to choose what words that we use when we're writing. Mm-hmm. And we both love language. I mean, speech language pathologists, we, it doesn't get better than this. <laughs> but right. it's good to know that the language we speak is also what words we choose to come out of our mouth. 
And again, I think we're aware that there are different things or ways that we can say things. We can say things casually, like our banter at the start of the shows. We can say things professionally, offensively, and diplomatically. And so we get to choose, right, the language that we use. Then there's the language in our brain, and those are our thoughts. But for some reason, many of us think that our thoughts are out of our control and that we don't choose them. But if that is your thought, that my thoughts are not optional. So I just want you to ask yourself, how do your thoughts get there then? Do we walk by someone and the thoughts just jump in? Uh, No. (laughs) So our thoughts are created by so many things. So a well-worn thought will turn into a belief. And our thoughts come from what we have experienced, what we've been taught, what we learn. So they come from our caregivers, our teachers, our coaches, our leaders, our peers, society, media, religion, culture, everything. They really do. And so many things influence what we think, but we get to decide what we want to continue thinking. Exactly. I think that's the piece that when people will say, well, are my thoughts optional? I'm like, well, we know what is optional is whether you want to keep thinking that thought. So even if we don't get to choose our thoughts, we get to choose which thought we want to keep. So it's like thoughts can come knocking on my door and maybe we don't know how they come knocking on our door, but they come knocking on our door and I maybe can't decide who's the knocker, but I can decide if I let them in, if I invite them for dinner, if I have them stay overnight, if I have them live with me. So just because a thought comes knocking doesn't mean it has to stay. Mm, Not at all. Not at all. But today we want to talk more about the specifics of language that is used and why choosing the particular words can even make a difference. The language we use when we write, in what we say, in how we think, words matter so much. Why do they matter? Because those words, that language, those thoughts in your brain create our feelings. We've talked about this so many times. Exactly. So words are very, very powerful. And sometimes we're a bit careless with them. So we do get to choose them, but sometimes we don't give enough thought to what we're actually saying. Because words can really energize or deplete. And I always used to tell my kids that you can either be a builder or a wrecker, meaning that they can use their words to build someone or something up or they can use their words to wreck something. So we actually have a wrecker vocabulary and that vocabulary I used to hear and I would label it for my kids like, I hate this person, I'm sick of this, or you're this or you're that. And these words are trying to actually tear people down. I love that, I love that lesson. But we can use other words to uplift, inspire and energize. And these are words that can actually build you up. Exactly. So we can use our words to build or rack others or ourselves because our own thoughts can also build us up or tear us down. So that's something to consider too. Are you a builder or a wrecker with your own thoughts? So Robin Sharma, he talks about how most people are pretty unconscious about their words. And I love that he divides vocabulary up into two sort of categories. He suggests that people have a vocabulary of victimhood and he calls it victim speak or a language of leadership. And so he suggests that you think about things about your words. Don't talk about what you hate to do. Talk about what you love to do. Don't talk about problems, talk about opportunities. Don't talk about what makes you feel tired. Talk about what makes you inspired. Don't 
talk about what broke your heart, but what opened your heart. Don't talk about your past. Talk about your future. Don't talk about what's not working. Talk about what is working. So he gives some guidelines and it's really just what you're saying. Is it going to energize you? Or is it going to deplete or drain you? Yeah. And it's it's like creating the energy that you want to attract, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, exactly. so powerful. Encourages you to journal, to draw a line and write about the language of victimhood. He calls that victim speak. Words of hatred, toxicity, breakdown, and also the language of leadership words of unity and inspiration and just and to see where your default vocabulary tends to be is it on one side is it on the other and i think that's so powerful because you even said to me earlier heather when we were talking i made the comment about how i hated something and you right away were like "Ooh, hate is such a strong word whenever somebody says they hate something i like digging there and it is true it is such a powerful word and it carries so much emotion and when you stop and you ask me okay do you really hate it i don't know in that circumstance i think what i was telling you about i really do hate but <laughs> <laughs> There are other circumstances where it's true. I'm like, oh, I hate making dinner. Like, that's pretty extreme. And even though I think that it's not making a difference, it does make a difference. So you do want to look at your language, but again, not coming from a place of judgment. That's something I know we're always saying, and we're going to keep saying everything you do is not from a place of judgment. A place of curiosity is where you want to come from. So because words matter, And because the words of our brain, our thoughts create our feelings, we thought today we would offer you some of what we call language hacks. So we want to show you how a shift in one word can create a whole new feeling or perspective about something. So we've got a whole bunch of these little shifts that can just make such a difference into how you feel. So let's get started. Why don't you take it away with the first one, Heather? Mm -hmm. Okay, number one. So... Let's consider changing what if, how many times do we say that? We probably say it a lot. Uh-huh. What yeah. if to even if. So you, so here are a few options. What if I get sick? What if I fail? What if I lose my shirt? Okay, so how consider how that feels when you say those words, when you use what if language. We could change it. So let's see what happens when you shift it to even if I get sick. Even if I fail, even if I lose my shirt. I love that. Yeah, it's so good because what if is very fear producing. It's a calamity. I won't be able to handle it. And it's also really close. Like what if I get sick? End of story. There's no room to add another thought. Even if it's faith promoting, it's hopeful, it's confident. I can get through no matter what. It's open-ended. It gives us some wiggle room to add another thought. Even if I get sick, I'll be okay. So it's the difference between coming from a place of fear and coming from a place of faith. Mm -hmm. I love that. The second one is our brain wants to go to black and white thinking, or we can do all or nothing thinking. So our brain does not like the world in between because it actually creates a cognitive dissonance. So it prefers or it is good or bad, positive or negative in or out. So it's very binary. But when we shift from using or to and... I want you to just look what happens. It's good and bad, positive and negative, in and out. 
Oh, in and out. I wish we had that here. <laughs> See, they didn't call it in or out. They, I don't know. Are you a fan of in and out Burger? Of course I am. And it's okay. making me want to go to the States right now. I know, I know, which we can't because we're in Canada and the borders are closed, but that maybe in or at, in and out figured this out because it's not- They were onto something. Out. They're onto something, <laughs> yeah. So because instead of forcing our brain to have two choices, which are usually very opposing choices, we open up our whole world to different options when we introduce the idea of and instead of or. It's um, so true. And I mean, the reality is we can have- two opposing thoughts holding space at once or two opposing feelings and holding space for that at once. It just, it might require a little bit of energy from our brain. I also like using and and to tack on to so many of my thoughts. This is really hard and I can do hard. I'm exhausted and it's not going to kill me. I love that. The third one, is the power of yet. Oh, it's one of my favorite words. I love the word yet. And this comes from Carol Dwick. So she is uh, a professor. I believe she's at Stanford, isn't she? Is she? I think so, yeah. Yeah. So she did a study called The Power of Yet, and she talks about it in a TED Talk. So you can uh, go check that TED Talk out. Oh, and as an aside, every Tuesday in our private Facebook group, the Building Resilience Club, if you're not in it, please come join it. Anyhow, on Tuesdays, we share some of our favorite TED Talks. So being SLPs, you might wonder why we talk about TED Talks so often, but being SLPs, we actually spend a lot of time with our clients watching TED Talks because they're usually working on skills like listening and synthesizing, summer and memory and TED Talks are the best way to do that. So that's why we have a lot of TED Talk talks uh, that we share in our Facebook group. So please come join us for that. Anyhow, Carol Dweck has a great one called The Power of Yet. And in the talk, she opens with a story about a high school in Chicago where students had to pass a certain number of courses in order to graduate. And instead of giving failing grades to those who did not pass, the school simply wrote not yet on a student's report card. So can you imagine what was your grade? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> I, I love it. it. It's so it's so empowering. It's so neutralizing. It's not setting kids up for failure. So, well, these two little words, not yet, it gave students hope. I wish I had that when I was little. Not that I failed a lot of things, but I would have loved to have that coming from my teachers. They had not failed but they could pass if they tried again. And this motivated them to keep trying. And so the power of not yet gives students a path into their future and made them feel that they're on a, a learning curve rather than finished, dead in the water. <laughs> so you can tack on not yet, but you can also tack on yet. I don't know how to do it yet. And Leah, how many times have we said that in building a business? Oh my God. I don't know how to yeah. do it yet. Exactly. I've not, I've not made it big yet. I'm not a great skier yet. Actually, all of these things are true for me. The power of yet is that there's still hope. There are options still there. The doors are still open. And notice how these words can either shut your world, like make it smaller or completely open your world. Yeah, that's that's I think the difference of the power of the word of the word is was it going to open or close? Is it going to move you forward or like you said keep you stuck? So the fourth one is yes and 
see this is where the end comes in again so this is this is a really good one as well i love all of these <laughs> so there's a great little book called begin with yes by paul boynton it's not a long book it's a short book but he states that when you begin with yes it's based on the premise that there are always answers to be found and when we find them we'll uncover the actions that will move us forward so yes and is a bit like the idea of begin with yes yes and is a pillar of improvisation so it's the acceptance principle when someone in a scene states something it's accepted as truth the and part of this principle means to build on the reality that has already been set Mm-hmm. Yes. And it's a way of acknowledging all ideas and then building on them. And so in coaching, we use it as a way to encourage contribution to see the value in what people say. It really allows people to be open. And it is also a way to find the positive. So there's an element of optimism in there, which we know is a fundamental pillar in building resilience. Yeah, exactly. It's so much better than always leading with no or yeah, but like the yeah, but is just shuts everything down. You sort of get excited that yeah, and then but discounts everything that came before it. So next time try yes and and see where that goes. Mm -hmm, That but it's a sneaky word. It just Mm -hmm. shuts everything down. Okay, number five. I love this one too. Have to get to or have to choose to. So this one is where I really see some shifts in my own feelings, actually. It's I have to or it's I get to. And it shows the opportunity in there. Everything we do in life is really a privilege. I mean, we can look at it like that. So it's a way of being grateful. I have to go for a run or... I get to go for a run. I know it may seem a little fake, but I really think that if we put a lens of gratitude, then we'll stop making things such a chore. Like have to really sinks us. I have to do the dishes. You get to do the dishes. You have dishes to do. You've eaten. This is amazing. (laughs) Exactly. I also love I have to, which makes you feel powerless. Like you're a victim to whatever you have to do. I choose to, or I want to, reminds us that everything we do is a choice. And I know people feel like, well, it's not a choice, but it is a choice. Even taking care of our kids, going to work, making dinner. Life doesn't just happen to us. We are active participants in it. So we choose to do almost everything that we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're especially as adults, right? Mm-hmm. No one else decides for us. And the whole I have to thing, there are very, very few things that we have to do. Seriously, we have to make dinner. Actually, we don't. <laughs> you can not eat, you can order in. There are many options. I have to go to work. Actually, you don't. You can call in sick, you can stay at home. I have to clean the house. No, you don't. You can just leave it or get someone else to do it. So all these things that we say, the language we use, we have to do it. We don't. Yeah, because the reality is we have the agency to do whatever we want. Now, there may be consequences to the choices that we make, but we really don't have to do anything. So we can stop trying to make ourselves feel so trapped and remind ourselves it's a choice. Now, I'm choosing to do this because I don't like the consequence. I'm choosing to go to work because I don't like the consequence of not having a job. But it, it really does empower us when we can say that we don't have to do something, we're choosing to do it. 
And this sort of is similar to the next one, which is I need versus I want. Now, I like this one too, but I do want to say that sometimes it can be used against us. There is nothing wrong with wanting. Now, this is something I've been personally learning. There's no higher moral ground doing things out of need rather than doing things out of want. We can want all we want, but we can also need. And I know that for me, it can be helpful to ask, do I need to, or do I want to, if I'm trying to make some decisions or choices between things, or if I'm trying to teach my kids about something, but I don't necessarily want to villainize the want because there are certain things I want in life and I embrace them. So I'll offer it to you that sometimes it is helpful to swap it out. I want to versus I need to, or I need to versus I want to. We can swap them out, play around with it to see which one makes you feel more empowered versus which one makes you feel more like a victim. Yeah, that's a good point. The next one is struggle versus challenge. And this is such a good one. This is how we we come at things. If it is a struggle in our mind, already there's an energy of like draining and there's an energy of exhaustion. There's a dooming failure. It's going to be hard. But if we come at it like a challenge, then there's positive sort of energy around it. There's motivation, there's determination, there's a commitment. And so try out a challenge instead of struggle and see if that shifts how you approach tasks. Yeah, I actually think that's a very powerful one. When I say to myself, oh, I've been struggling to do something, it just adds like this extra layer of weight versus a challenge makes me feel like, okay, I can do this, I've got this. So it's a big one. The next one is I'll try and switching that to I can or I will. So Yoda in Star Wars, and I use this a lot. He says, do or not do, there is no try. And I've used it so often that I know my kids roll their eyes when they hear me say that. Because when I hear try, it kind of means, yeah, I'm not going to do it. It's not going to happen. Are you going to come tonight? Yeah, I'll try to come tonight. Are you going to do that? Yeah, I'll try to do that. So to me, it just means like it's not going to happen. But if you just set your mind to saying, I can or I will, it means there's a stronger commitment. Now, that doesn't mean that you're not going to run into failure, but it does mean that you're going to do it with the mindset that you're going to do it, not Mm -hmm. with the sort of the mindset, well, I'll try. And if it gets a little bit hard, I'm not going to do it. No, I am going to do it, but that doesn't mean I won't fail at it. And that's okay too. Mm -hmm. It's like there's an investment with, I can, I will, I must. It it feels so different even to say the words than, I'll try. Yeah. Okay, the next one, Dr. Joan Rosenberg in her book, 90 Seconds, which is amazing, 90 Seconds to a Life You Love, talks about how questions such as, can I, do I, will I, and am I, can cause us a lot of doubt and anxiety. Can I really do this? Will I really achieve this? Am I going to be okay? She says, when we prime our brain with questions, your brain naturally does its best to answer. The best thing to do is to turn these questions into sentences. I can, I will, I am, I do. And this will shift totally how you feel in your body. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Just reversing how it goes. Yeah. Yeah, That's a great one. That is such a good book. That's such a good book for helping you understand emotions. All right, the next one, why me 
you can turn it around and actually say, why not me? And we often say, why me? As if life should not be happening to us the way it is. But really, we know that life is 50-50. We had a podcast on it uh, not too long ago. So life is 50-50. So that means that there'll be many moments we do not want, we did not invite, we do not think is fair. So should we be able to pick a person and say it should be them? Like instead of why me, it actually should be you. Oh, probably not. When we switch it to why not me, it kind of depersonalizes. The universe is not out to get us. It's just part of the human experience. So why not me or you or you? It's going to suck. So many things are going to suck, but no one is conspiring against us. And I think when we ask the question, why me? It really makes us feel like someone is out to get us. And it's very, very personal. We will all be struck with adversity at some point in our lives. Now, I had a client actually share another way to approach the why me, and I thought it was really cute. It was try me. And this was so empowering too. It shows that we can take it. Like why me? Yeah, just try me, like bring it on. Why me is more of a victim mentality and try me is that leader mentality. Bring it on, I can do this. So I thought it was also another variation of how we can sub out why me. Oh, that's so good, try me, love that. This one is my favorite, shouldn't, shouldn't. And it's so funny because I had a roommate before I bought my condo and uh, she's still a dear friend we banished the word should, using the word should in our house. And it was what we came up with instead of should, it would be delicious if. We love to eat, so that's that was good. <laughs> anyway, so should and shouldn't. And it's so common for us to use it in our vocabulary. It just, it really sneaks in there. I mean, I, I've become aware of this, but mm-hmm. I should do this, I should do that, you should do this, you should do that. And we seriously need to stop shooting on ourselves. <laughs> That's right. (laughs) The problem with shoulds is it automatically puts us into the place of right or wrong, black and white, all or nothing thinking. And we become the biggest judges. I should do this, judging myself. You should do this, judging someone else. And it really takes us away from the present. It prevents you from accepting where you are right now is okay. Think about the kind of emotions that are created with should. So I would offer to you that you switch out the should with another another word, or I could do this, or it would be delicious if, if you want to <laughs> take that, you can use that. I love it. My it brother would be knows. delicious if I go running today. <laughs> yeah, my, my, brother, my brother knows never to say should to me. Oh my goodness. It would be delicious, Heather, if we could ride together. <laughs> uh, um, or it would be great if you would. So this just, it should everything and creates a different emotion and it opens it up. It's less judgy. It feels better. Again, all these language hacks, they're just opening you, opening you up to more possibility. I think that's what is key. Now, the last one I want to speak to is these little words that get tacked on to so many things. It's so hard, dot, dot, dot. So this is common start to many of the things we say. It's so hard to think of meal ideas every night. It's so hard to get up at 6 a.m. It's so hard to work from home. It's so hard to commute. Now, 
I'm not trying to fight with you about whether things are actually hard or not, because that's not the point. It can be hard. But the second we start every sentence off with, it's so hard, we immediately have a mountain to climb. It's the, it's so hard mountain. So it's so hard creates feelings such as dread, insecurity, frustration, overwhelm, annoyance. So none of these are pleasant feelings. And all those feelings lead to things like us actually doing less or stopping and starting things or procrastinating or complaining or using toxic vocabulary and everything we do gets harder. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. So it's possible to make a, a minor alteration to our language. It's possible. It is not as hard as I think it is, or it's so hard, but I can do hard. You can use the word challenge instead. It's a challenge instead of that struggle word. Remember we talked about Mm -hmm, that. mm -hmm. Anyhow, (laughs) there are other things that you can do when we play with thoughts, but I just wanted to show you how the language we use can drive a certain feeling and a result. So just beware of the words that you choose. They really, I mean, the words we choose are up to us and they often happen so unconsciously, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's why we wanted to do this, this podcast today to sort of show some of the most common ones that not only do we hear our clients using, but I hear myself using all oh, the gosh, time. Me too. And I'm constantly having to ask myself, like, is there a way that I could just word this differently? And it's amazing how, when I word it differently, I do become empowered. It doesn't change the circumstance. It doesn't change whatever adversity I'm facing or challenge I'm facing, but what it does is it changes my energy with how I'm going to approach it. It changes how I feel about it. So I want to ask you guys, do you have any other language hacks that we missed? So send us a message to let us know what your favorite language hacks are. You can find us on Instagram. We're at hl.lifecoaching or come on over to our website, which is at www.hl-lifecoaching.com. And you can join us on our Facebook group, the Building Resilience Club. And of course, you can come find us on YouTube. And we are actually also on Clubhouse. You can find us. I'm at Leah Davidson. And Heather, what are you at on Clubhouse? Same at Heather Stables. At Heather Stables, yeah. So we hop onto Clubhouse. So there's lots of ways to reach us, lots of ways to connect. We would love to hear what some of your language hacks are. We'd love to hear if some of the ones we suggested to you, if you try using them and if you notice a change, we would love to hear about that too. So think about the words they use. They make a big difference. Thanks. Thanks.